We are on. Happy New Year, and welcome to Exhibit A. This is our first show in the new year, the new decade, and we're starting off the right way because we've got a very special guest today. It's Gail Roque, uh, who I've known for a long, long time. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Did you have a, a happy new year? Yes. What did you do? Great. It was pretty quiet. I w- attended a party with my neighbors, new neighbors, so it's it was wonderful. Good, 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 good. Uh, are you looking forward to the new decade? Looking very forward to the next year and the next decade. Mm, me too. Okay, so today's topic is going to be how to manage your finances after a divorce. Uh, Gail, as you could imagine, we have a lot of people in my practice who never really took the helm with respect to handling the finances. I see a lot of cases where one spouse or the other uh, manages everything, and sometimes they're very secretive you know, about finances, and they don't let the other side know what's going on. Uh, and consequently, the outspouse, as we call that, doesn't pick up the habits, doesn't have any knowledge about how to finance things. They just basically know how to spend money according to what was given them, like in a credit card or some cash or anything. So... I thought today we could spend some time talking about and to our viewers who are maybe uh, getting a divorce or have gotten a divorce and need to learn some of the skills. But before we do that, I want to talk about you. Okay, so Gail, um, I've always found you very fascinating, very, uh, very upstanding. Uh, As you know, I've actually referred family members to you. Uh, Gail is a private wealth advisor. She's a certified financial planner with uh, almost 30 years of experience. How much experience do you have doing this? 29 and a half. Okay, that's close enough. She's a principal of Roken Associates, and her business is located here in beautiful Pasadena, just down the street from us, actually, which is cool. I've also referred clients to you as well, and everybody that comes back just loves you. Uh, It's your personal touch that I think more than anything else and your credibility that that people love. Um, I've looked on your website, if you don't mind. Okay, and I've noticed that uh, you have several specialties, but there's three that really came out to me because of the type of clients that I have. One of them is is that uh, you specialize in retirement planning strategies, uh, women's financial strategies, and investment management. And all those things are good for my clients, uh, hopefully. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is I get a client and I send them to you and they think they know better and they don't listen and stuff. So, you know, and I, it's not my job to tell them how to finance, manage finances. I may be committing malpractice if I did something like that. But I honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed when they don't call. At least, you know, pick up the phone and call Gail. Uh, you also have professional uh, associations that were very impressive. Uh, I didn't know this about you. You, were the, uh, you are the former president of the Women's City Club. Right. Is that here in Pasadena? Yes, that is. When did you? When were you a president? So I was a member for several years there. I, I, to be honest, I can't really remember. It was so long ago. Yeah, it was probably about eight or, eight or nine years. Okay. Well, you must have done that like a few years before my wife entered the club. Because she eventually became the Women's City Club president as well. I had no idea all these years that I've known you until I looked at your website. One thing I do know about you is you're very involved in Toastmasters. Yes. And you love that. I am past president there, too. Yeah, you sat on a lot of boards. Uh, yeah. Toastmasters, uh, the uh, San Marino Chamber of Commerce, right? Yes. Yeah. Very, very active in the community. And you also do charitable things, I noticed, with the uh, food bank. Well, cool. Um, what I want to do is, is open up the dialogue with you today by asking you a question that I, I had when I looked on your website, because you have a video, a very nice website, uh, and you talk about your advice and your handling of people depends on their stage of their life. 
So, for example, you know, if there's a woman that's 30 years old that's divorcing and comes to you and says, hey, I really need to pull this together and get back on track, that might be a different strategy than somebody that is, you know, my age, you know, gray divorce, you know, somebody that is in their 60s and they come to you. So can you explain, you know, what the strategies would be and, and how they would differ? So if I'm working with a young younger person, they are what we call an achiever. They are just beginning to start looking at savings. They probably paid off debt, student loans, and so on. And they really begin to look at the bigger, they want to look at the bigger picture. If they have children, education planning, they are thinking about insurance needs, may, may own a home. If not, they're looking to purchase one. So I help them all those areas. But then I also take it one step further and we talk about estate planning, retirement, making sure that they are doing a little bit and planning for those areas too. So it looks like, like you're building a foundation for the younger younger person and pointing them in a lot of uh, good directions that they need to go to. Conversely, now you know uh, a 60 year old like myself comes into your office, you know, and uh, never really handled finances, doesn't have a real lot, and maybe some Social Security down the road, but not a real lot. What kind of uh, strategies are you going to implement with a person like that? So if somebody that's heading into retirement, they're very, very focused on do I, I'm, am I there yet? Do I have to still save a little bit more? What is the strategy? What is the plan? With those folks, a lot of the times it's mainly taking care of what are the retirement assets you have in place? What is your income looking like? They're usually in their highest earning years at this point in time. We're looking at Social Security. When do they want to start claiming uh, Medicare how soon is it going to be before they're on Medicare? Um, estate planning, is that in place? Insurances, what insurances do they still need? What are they going to be looking to make changes to? Long-term care planning becomes very important as well as medical issues. So it sounds like you have to engage in a, in a pretty thorough consultation with somebody to get really a, an inventory of what their needs are and what their abilities are based on their present-day circumstances. Correct. How long does yes. that process usually take? So it's a process, and everything depends on how important various issues are to a client. So a lot of times I put them on an annual retainer where clients will engage with us, and then they'll continue the planning process because somebody may walk into my office and say, I'm, I'm looking to retire. Can I retire in two years? Well, what about the other areas? Well, that's not as important right now. But I still will look at their homeowners, auto insurance. I'm trying to, like a structural engineer, look for every possible issue that could derail their retirement. So it's a process. Sometimes they just want to focus on, hey, do I have enough money for retirement? Yeah. And a lot of times I tend to work with clients that are between that 500000 to maybe $5 million of investable assets where they feel they've achieved enough, but at the same time they're so afraid of slipping back and becoming somebody that does not have enough. Um, a lot of my clients want to retire early. That's a lot of retirement if you're looking at, a lot of retirement years if you're looking at, a 60-year-old, right? They could live to age 100. We, we help them plan for that. Okay. You know, you just mentioned something, and that is is the person that comes to you, um, let's say they have some assets, a sale of a home, you know, and a wife comes out and she says, well, one thing I did get out of my divorce is uh, the proceeds from the sale of the home, and it's $500,000. My concern always when I say goodbye to my clients at the end of the case is, are you going to, like, dwindle that money, like, or are you going to do something smart with that? You know, and that's that's always a big concern of mine. So, you know, if somebody comes in with a lump sum of money like that, you know, is there a basic, you know, thing that you would probe and try to figure out what this what's right for the person? 
So the first thing I would ask them is their spending habits. How have they spent in the past? How conscious are they? How fearful are they of money? Because a lot of that kind of information will help me help them make good decisions for themselves. My whole my whole purpose is to help clients gain clarity and and confirmation of what they have in place and is it what is the purpose of of those assets. Yeah, it's very very important that they don't squander it away by n- being impulsive or not planning, not connecting the dots as to how they're going to get to their financial goals. Okay. You know, I I'm always intrigued by how people get into their various professions. And I did notice that you have a bachelor's of uh, science in business, business, uh, which is actually a pretty difficult degree. Um, Why were you so interested in in getting into what you were into? So I was raised in the Middle East. And when I was back there, one of the things I realized is there was no opportunity to really be a professional. I I, I was a flight attendant many years ago. I was a secretary. I I was even thinking maybe I should get into nursing. And then I had this opportunity. I said, well, why don't I go and get a college degree? And then I should get something where it might help me learn a little bit more. And of course, when I arrived here, and I I just spent a lot of time in the library because it was just fascinating. And I was a marketing major initially, but then I just kind of found myself veering towards the financial planning part of it. And it's been wonderful. So my career consists of marketing and financial planning. So I'm getting a bit of both. I'm being a business owner. Yeah, absolutely. I I imagine uh, that you get a lot of satisfaction of helping people. Yeah, A lot. Well, that's awesome. Okay, so uh, we talked about, you know, people adjusting their standards and stuff. You know, one thing that I do see is how difficult it is when parties are accustomed to a certain standard of living. You know, you got a couple that lives here in Pasadena, for example, and they may go on trips regularly, dine out a couple of times a week. Uh, you know, they they uh, tend to buy nice clothing, drive nice cars, send their kids to private school. There's a certain standard of living that, are, that people may have. And then suddenly a divorce takes place and everything's cut in half or somebody's shortened somehow during the divorce process. That's a problem. Because because the habits mean something, right? Correct. How do you how do you try to educate and curb the the habits and try to make them more frugal in, during the process? It's hard to make somebody more frugal, but one of the things I have learned is after a divorce, first of all, people are very emotional, so I help them get through that part of it, and it can it's it's a closing of one chapter, but it's the opening of a new chapter, and taking charge of your finances is a very wonderful feeling of being in control. So we'll we'll lay out a financial plan. What are your goals? We'll assess. Do you have a budget? Do you have a cash reserve? Debt? What's your credit situation look like? So all these little pieces, and then I go, then let's start assessing the longer term goals. Are you on pace for that? So when people have a written financial plan, one of the things I've learned is they make their own decisions. They can become frugal because suddenly they see the end in mind. I literally run numbers interactively with clients and they get to make decisions of, oh, if I had to do this, I could retire at 60. Oh, if I continue my lifestyle, we still want to take vacations. I still want them to live today. A couple of tweaks here or there, saving a little bit more into your 401k, max funding it. You could retire maybe even earlier or maybe you'll need to make some adjustments and Maybe it'll have to be eight sixty six. Awesome. Okay, so I looked at um, some things on the internet that I thought I would prepare myself for you. You know, it's hard to talk to people that specialize in things because I'm such an amateur. Uh, I'm only a lowly attorney, but 
there's a term, uh, and I've heard this a long time ago, that investing in yourself and the importance of that. Can you describe, first of all, do you agree with that? And if so, can you describe, you know, what you would recommend to people in that regard? I believe we should be life learners. I spend a lot of my weekends reading not just fun stuff, but also information that helps me enhance my career. So I think we should always be planning on what's the next thing. What are we learning? What are, do we want to go back to school? And I encourage people to do that. Or I encourage my clients to do, to do that too. We should always be learning. Yeah, I guess if you have confidence in yourself, yeah, that's where you put the bucks, right? Right, and yeah. I, you keep on adding. I've got three designations right now. I'm thinking of taking on two more. What's to stop us from doing that? Just more knowledge. It's great. Right, right. And then, you know, the other, the, the second one was protecting yourself. I know that wealth advisors are always looking at ways to, I guess, protect yourself against bad things that could happen either in the market or personally and stuff. So are there some basic strategies that you try to employ? Absolutely. So some of the basics are trying to, from a financial standpoint, being debt-free or definitely consumer debt-free. You can use debt as leverage. So there's good debt and bad debt. Having a cash reserve, three to six months of expenses will stop us from falling into you know, a situation where we are or get going backwards. Insurance is important. None of us really like insurance, but it can be your best friend when you need it. So you're not looking when you're adding on insurance to make a killing, but you're certainly looking to protect yourself from devastation. What kind of insurance uh, do you normally uh, advise your clients to definitely at least take a look at? Everything from automobile insurance, homeowners, the umbrella policy, protecting their home and uh, automobile from any li additional liability. I look at earthquake insurance in California, definitely make recommendations. And my goal is to help clients make good financial decisions for themselves. So they can make a decision not to take on insurance as long as they know what plan B is. I look at life insurance, disability, medical insurance, and long-term care. And then whenever they're doing things like traveling, I will encourage them if they're you know, 50 plus, they may want to add on travel insurance, but that kind of insurance is not going to devastate them financially. So that's certainly something, yes, maybe you could do it. It would certainly not set you back if Interesting. you had to cancel it. So a you're flight. a strong proponent of insurance. I that was a, sh a shocker to me when I got into private practice and I started dealing with like employment attorneys and then you know, wealth managers and everything, that the whole uh, world out there that's in the know understands the importance of insurance. Is there, um, you know, anything that you don't like with regard to insurance? Like people that, um, you know, maybe people that are overinsured. Is there such a thing? Yes, you can be overinsured. It's always good to check in. We normally help our clients review their insurance every year. Say with business oh, owners. You know, sometimes they'll add on a, a coverage, and then they'll drop it. Oh, I don't really need this EPLI coverage. No, you may get sued next year when you're not expecting. Oh, my employees are great. No, you don't know that. So it's important to add on liability, just the entire package, and then every year review it, and do you still need it? Maybe you don't need as much coverage, or maybe you need to add on. Cool. Okay. All right. So uh, you were talking a little bit about credit, you know, um, you know, the use of credit. There's good and bad credit. Can you describe the good and the bad? So good debt is debt that is tied to a piece of property, right? So you're using leverage to buy this asset. Bad debt is consumer debt where there's you're, you're 
sometimes call it as a, as a result of reckless spending, not being conscious of what you're doing. That usually carries very high interest rates, right? So we always want to be conscious of what our interest rates are on the debt that we're using. What was the purpose mm-hmm. of it? Was it leverage? A student loan can be a good thing. You just don't want to take on too much of it where it's going to become unaffordable to maintain and pay off. Yeah. So, you know, some people get married to the wrong person, and the person just racks up the credit card debt, and it's community debt, right? They get divorced, and now their credit score is really bad, you know, and, and, and they can't even get more credit because their credit scores are so bad. Do you have any basic strategies how to improve that? It seems like to me that nowadays, because of the Internet, we're, everybody's more conscious of their credit scores than ever before because you could just, like, press a button and you could see it day to day. Yes. So what are the strategies to, to increase that? Or to increase your credit, credit score. score. Yeah, I, I assume you think that's important. I, Very important. Okay. Okay. I mean, in this country, we really depend on having a good credit score. Even if it's damaged, there is a chance you can repair it. So that's the wonderful part. You just have to rebuild, start over with doing little thing, baby steps. Get that credit card and make sure you make steady payments over time. It's amazing how quickly you build your credit back up. Within within a year, it could be up and running and looking really good. Okay. Um, with regard to the credit, you know, you got five credit cards. One of them's got fifty thousand dollars worth of debt, uh, and then you've got you know some that are mid, you know, maybe twenties, uh, twenty thousands, and then you got a couple that are five thousand. Um, which one do you attack first? I would look at the interest rates. Sometimes okay. people are not as conscious, so they will pay off the smaller ones first. I would look at which one has the biggest interest rate, and I would start working on that one. And then there's also an opportunity to con- re- to consolidate debt. Right now, there's a lot of money in the system. It's a great time to look at debt consolidation to a, something a lower rate payment, and then start whittling away at it. Cool. And it can be done. Cool. Okay. Um, when when do you start beginning to think about retirement? I mean, I know that you know young people typically you know they're going to live forever and things like that. But what when would you suggest that? It's never too early to plan for retirement. As soon as you have that four hundred one k at your workplace, start putting something away, even if it's three percent. And then the goal is, I'll encourage clients three percent next year. Try to see if you could bump it up to four percent. Next couple of years, 6%, 10 and then max funded. By the time you're 50, you really should be max funding your 401k. Same with if you don't have a retirement plan, there's a wonderful thing called a Roth IRA or an IRA. Definitely talk to an accountant and get started with saving something. Put something away. Do you have a, uh, a favorite Roth versus a simple IRA? Well, a Roth IRA, a lot of people can fund as long as they meet the income limitations. A simple IRA is more for a self-employed person. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All great. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with either one of them. Okay. No. Okay. So uh, assume hypothetically that my client comes to you. Um, she's just divorced and she's got zero money in savings and she's a frightened. She's living paycheck to paycheck, but also because of the fact that her husband had uh, been crazy with credit cards, her portion of the debt post divorce is $50,000 with a large interest rate on it. Uh, the battle that she finds herself in is, is that Gail and people like you are telling her, you, you got to have some savings. But she also is getting crippled by the, same, by the credit card, which she's having difficulty. What would you suggest that that lady do? 
definitely pay down, start paying down the debt and have a strategy for that. But at the same time, she does need to have some savings on the side. The savings will stop her from building more debt, right? And then a budget is very, very important because if, if you have a plan and you know exactly what you're spending, so a budget consists of fixed expenses and discretionary. It's the discretionary portion that trips us up a lot of the time. Right. So take a look. How much are you spending on vacations? Start planning around that way. Maybe you need to stop that for a while till you start whittling away at the debt and building that savings. Would you help her set up the budget if she came to you? Absolutely. Cool. Yes. Okay. What, what does financial security mean to you? Financial security to me, me means having that work-optional lifestyle where I could work if I want to and still know that I, I'm comfortable. Cool. Okay. Oh. Not too many people are in, the, in that stage yet, I guess, right? America is pretty bad at not saving. So my final inquiry for you, Gail, is, is um, if I were to be consulted by one of my clients and needed a wealth advisor, what are the do's and don'ts in trying to locate somebody to help them, you know, get back onto their financial track or to start something that they never had? So I would, I would encourage have somebody take a look at their current situation. So depending on how complex it is, so if you're just starting out, you don't you, you want a financial advisor that has some experience in the business, but you certainly don't need somebody that does is looking to do work with high net worth clients that have very complex needs. Start simple, just get some basic guidance. As you move on and you and you're heading towards retirement and your situation starts getting a little bit more complex, you've got stock options at work, you're looking at your estate plan, needing to make changes to it, that's the time when you may be wanting to look for an advisor that has a lot more credentials at the end of their name, have a lot of experience in the business where they can help you with a little bit more complex strategies. Are, what are in your profession, how's it governed? You know, I know that you're a certified uh, wealth manager or certified financial planner. Is there a board or some, an overseer? Yes. yes, What there is, is that? So we have. So I'm a certified financial planner. That is is definitely licensed, and you'll see a lot of uh, advertising out there right now. I'm a chartered financial consultant, which is a different organization. I have um, an accredited portfolio management um, accreditation, which is different, and that's more for investment planning. So again, when you're looking for an advisor, you want to see how complex your situation is and if they can meet that. I would definitely recommend everybody meet with at least three advisors and get to know how, what kind of client they can help best. All right. Cool. Okay. Let's change the su- subject. So as I told you before we started the show that we're going to end with an interesting article. I'm going give, to give you a copy of it, not to put you under the spot or anything, but in this article, uh, there's a woman – in England, this is back in June, so this apparently is already done, but it's the title is A Cheeky Bride is Demanding a Breakup Clause with Her Wedding Photographer, Guaranteeing a Full Refund if She Ever Gets Divorced. So apparently she's saying, look, you know, um, I'm going to pay you for your photography, but if I ever get divorced, I want a full refund. Would this be good financial planning? Well, she could certainly attempt it. She could try it. I I, I don't know that the uh, the... A photographer is going to be that open to that. That probably is not part of his contract. But that would be a more unusual <laughs> request. I think that it would be more important for her to do other things as she's planning for a wedding. For one thing, be very cognizant of how much she's spending on this wedding. I think she would, certainly if she's got assets, be thinking about should she be 
establishing a prenup, that would certainly take care of more of the bigger picture assets that she has and her, her future income versus the money she's going to spend on <laughs> photography <laughs> at the wedding. Cool. Well, you did really good there. I put you on the spot and you just you know, pulled yourself out of that really quickly. Well, thank you very much, Gail. This has been a pleasure. Um, I've always enjoyed talking to you and I hope that you join us again. Thank you, Don. I really appreciate this. And I do, do really appreciate all you've done for me and my clients. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us in uh, this show. We'll see you again on Exhibit A.